Thank you so much. What an incredible joy to be with you and your church family today, especially during this incredible time of uh, transition and, and preparation as you are in the process of looking for a new pastor. You, uh, you must be a blessed church to know the incredible leadership you've had up until the point of your pastor leaving, as well as the incredible leadership that you have in place as you're looking for a pastor that's coming to fill those shoes. And I'm going to continue to pray with you and for you as you're doing that, but I just want to clear something up right up front. I am not ever been known as a preacher or a pastor, so I want to just clear that up, but I do love preacher stories, so I got to tell you one. And in this position, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take on the role of preacher or pastor, and I want you to be the congregation. There's a little audience participation here. So uh, this story that I heard about this pastor was talking to his church family, and he said, church, he said, if you were to uh, come to church every single Sunday for the rest of your life, when you died, are you going to heaven? And of course, the congregation said, no, preacher. Y'all try that. That's your part. You keep it up. He said, what if you went to Sunday school every single Sunday? When you died, would you go to heaven? Of course, the church said, no. He said, what if you gave a whole lot of money to the church? That was a hard one. <laughs> but he said, when you died, are you going to heaven? And the church said, no. He said, well, then what does it take to get to heaven? Finally, this 12-year-old boy stood up on the back row and he said, you got to be dead, preacher. <laughs> it was really hard to argue with the kid at that point, but the, uh, the point is, is, you know, all too often, unfortunately, I've been to an awful lot of funerals where a lot of people believe that all you got to do to get to heaven is to be dead. And the reality of it is, is that through God and through his son, Jesus, as difficult as it was to make the decisions that they made, they have made it extremely simple for us as children of God to be able to spend eternity with him just by asking Jesus to forgive us of our sins, to come into our life and allow him to live in us. And then at that point, it becomes our responsibility to share with others the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's a little bit more to it than just being dead. We have a problem in South Carolina. As a matter of fact, there's a problem in the Southeast. I think we have a problem in this country. As a matter of fact, there's a problem that is all around this world today, and I'm going to share with you what I think it is. Number one problem in this world today is that this world has become complacent about God. As a matter of fact, they've become complacent about the church, and they've certainly become complacent about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The complacency has caused a lot of things in this world. And the reality of it is, is there's really only two kinds of people on this planet today. It's those who have an understanding of what it is to be a believer that have given their lives to Christ and those that are searching for the truth and they don't even know it. And for those of us that are believers, we are all in the body of Christ and God has an army of people and he is asking us and requesting of us to serve him in such a way that would allow others to come into his presence and to know him. And it's our responsibility to know him and to make him known. And I think that every one of us are on the circle of ministry opportunity. As a matter of fact, if you'll look at this uh, right here, I, if you wanted to draw, take any notes today, you can draw this circle on your notes, and we're going to fill in a little bit of this, draw a line right to the middle of it, and we're going to talk about what it means to be on the circle of ministry opportunity. But before we jump into that, let's just have a word of prayer together, and we'll see what the Lord leads today. Father, I want to thank you and praise you for this incredible church family. 
I want to thank you for the leadership of this church and how they've poured into this church family and for the way that you have set this body of believers right here in this community with the intentionality of the desire to use them to share your name with those that are searching for the truth. Father, we're on holy ground today. This is a place where we come back and we celebrate what you've done, but it's a place where we come back and we learn more about you and we hear about the things that you would have us to do for you, and then we go back out again and share your name with those that don't yet know you. So, Father, right now in this moment, I pray that you'd help me to step aside. I pray that you'd help me just to get out of your way. And, Lord, that uh, you would be glorified and lifted up in every word that is spoken, but that you would speak to me and through me, and that all of us would leave this place with the desire to serve you like we never have before. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you, and we praise you for loving us first. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Jesus Christ's mother said these words. His mother said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. She said, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Now, I want to read you the passage as to where that came from. It comes out of the book of John in the second chapter, 1 through 11. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, if you'd rather just read it up here on the screen, I'm going to go through these. And we might stop once or twice just real quickly on our way to what the Lord may have in store for us today. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples also had been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, now let me just say something at this point right here. When he says this to her, I just want you to realize this could be said in a lot of different ways. He, Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. Now you got to understand, Jesus is about 30 years old. He'd been on this planet for 30 years. God uh, sent his son through uh, Mary and, and he is the father, she is the mother, and he said that he wanted her to be able to raise him up, and she gave an awful lot of responsibility to him. And so in this moment, she, he looks at Mary and says, woman, why do you involve me? It wasn't like this. Woman, why do you involve me? It wasn't a sarcastic mother. I think it was out of sheer curiosity. W- woman, why do you involve me? M- my my time, it's not yet come. Almost questioning, has it? Now, you don't have to go there, but let me just read to you one quick verse. It's over in Mark. It's Mark 13, 32. Listen to this. And it's about when Jesus is going to come again. And Mark tells us in his word, but of that day or hour, no one knows, not the angels in heaven, not even the son, but only the father. Can you imagine what it must be like in today's time? with God on his throne and Jesus right there to the right hand with all the things that are going on in this world and the craziness in which it's going on. Don't you think that Jesus must be looking at his father like a four-year-old in the backseat of your car on the way to Disney? Can I go down yet? Can I go yet? Can I go? Let me go fix this. Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? I can only imagine God looking at his son saying, I'll let you know. I'll let you know when it's time. 
And because we see that in Mark, I can't help but to think that when Jesus had asked Mary to raise up this child and to pour into him and to do all the things that a mother would do for a child, that at this point, when he's 30 years old, and even though she probably wasn't taking care of his every daily needs, she was around him and was with him all the time, and she knew that the moment that his ministry was to begin, that her job here was done, and he was going to be on the path to Calvary to die on a cross for you and me. And at that moment, she was out. And so when this moment came, isn't it just, wouldn't it be just like God to think that he was going to allow her to be the one that lets him know it's time? I just have to look at that, and I read it this way. Dear woman, why do you involve me? And Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And his mother, and I think because she couldn't even look at him to say it because she knew her time was finished, she says, Not to her, but she turned to the servants and she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for the ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where he came from, but the servants who served it, they knew where it came from. They called the bridegroom aside and they said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after that. And the guest, I had too much to drink, but you saved the best till now. This is the first of the miracles of, of the signs and Jesus performed at Canaan Galilee and thus revealed his glory and disciple, and then the disciples believed in him. Can I just tell you, there's some incredible gold in that passage. You know, here's the thing. Jesus didn't go over and just pick up the jars and pour it himself. Those servants did what Jesus' mother said. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And the servants were obedient to what he called them to do. Do you know who the servants were? (laughs) Here they are. God's servants. All those servants, he did that. And then here's the thing that happened. The miracle happened. We're all around us. I'm just telling you, there are miracles happening around us all the time. And, And everybody that was at that wedding got the byproduct of the miracle that happened that Jesus did. And everybody was wanting to know what's going on. How'd that happen? Where'd this come from? But do you know who knew? The servants. So you got a choice. Do you want to be the byproduct of the miracle or do you want to be in on the miracle? You want to be a part of the miracle. You want to see the miracle. You want to be able to make it happen. And when the miracle happened, those people didn't have any idea where this had come from, but the servants knew. What do you think the servants were doing? Man, the servants were saying, I was there. I saw it happen. I saw the miracle. It was incredible. You should be a part of this. You should be a part of this. And then the following began. Let me just give you the best definition I've ever, ser- ever heard of the servant. Henry Blackaby talks about what a servant is in his book, Experiencing God. He says, the servant carries out the master's will. And the servant doesn't tell the master what to do. The servant does not choose which task to perform for the master, nor does the servant suggest days or times when it would be convenient to serve the master. <laughs> the servant's function is to follow instruction- instructions. The master, on the other hand, gives direction. The master does not tell the servant to develop a vision that will guide the master. The master is the one with the vision. The servant's task is to help fulfill the master's purpose. We are the servants. 
God is the master. It all depends on our obedience. It comes down to our obedience. You know, when we think about the fact that he's the master and we're the servants, and it's all about our obedience to help fulfill what he does, it comes down to whatever he tells you to do, do it. And we're all on this circle of of ministry opportunity that you see right here. And the very first step that happens is awareness. We become aware of opportunities to be able to serve him. You might be aware of a mission trip. You might be aware of the opportunity to give to to help another missionary like we saw today. You might be aware of an opportunity to sing in a choir, to play in an orchestra, to be a part of a youth group, to coach a basketball team, to coach a soccer team, to do whatever it might be. You're going to become aware of an opportunity. And that awareness is going to lead you to something. You know, and here's the thing. It can be awareness about a lot of different things. The very first awareness story that I really remember was the moment that I became aware of the fact that I wasn't going to be able to get myself to heaven. When I realized that I had sin in my life and I was no way I could pay that price for the sin in my life. And only Jesus, the the sacrificial lamb, could pay that. October 31st, 1976, when I asked Jesus to come into my heart. Fast forward the the awareness of the opportunity to to share Christ through something as simple as a basketball. I mean, many of you know the story of me being on staff at a church. And uh, when I was there, you know, this this basketball was my passion. And I was using this as an opportunity to reach people for Christ. And we had 150 and 250 and 350 and 450. And one, one year we had 520 kids, 27 kids on a waiting list. And I'll never forget coming home and telling my wife, sweetheart. We got the most happening league in all Spartanburg, South Carolina. 520 kids, 27 kids on the waiting list. What do you think about that, baby? I'm looking for some loving, right? And I can't wait for her to come in. And I, I told her all that. And she comes up and puts her hands on my shoulders. And she said, sweetheart, if that's what you wanted to do, was put 27 kids on a waiting list, <laughs> then you did good. With that nonverbal exclamation point, you know, that some... <laughs> Some women have, you know. And I said, babe, but, but what about the 520? She said, sweetheart, we didn't get in this for the opportunity to turn people away. We got in this for reaching people for Christ. And we got to do whatever it takes to do that. And through a long series of events, I sat down with a man and told him I wanted to build another gym. And he said, you don't need another gym. You need a thousand gyms. You need to be able to share this with, with churches like this one right here that want to reach their community for Christ. This is not my vision, it's his vision. This is your vision. This is something that God planned a long time ago. And so when when you become aware of these things, what happens, that awareness leads to your passion. And your passion can come out in a lot of different ways. Your passion is is very compelling. When when you're aware of something, you're you're gonna become passionate about something. Passion can come out a lot of ways. It can come out in love. It can come out in hate. It can come out in happy. It can come out in sad. It can come out in angry. I've had all those feelings at a football game before. Some of you know what I'm talking about, depending on who you pull for. And, and I know I'm about to step out on dangerous ground right here, but let me just give you an example of passion. I, I am a Georgia Bulldog fan. And even if I wasn't, I would say I was so I didn't have to be Auburn or Alabama in this state right here. I just, I, but I am, okay? I graduated from Georgia. And this is not about that, but it's more about what passion means. So just help me relax. Don't get too committed to your favorite team right now. But, you know, when I was coming up in, in college, I never missed a game, never missed a home game, away game, nothing. When I got married, started having babies, and, man, I would watch it on TV, but I, I, just, I just couldn't get there, and it was driving me crazy. And I remember being on staff in South Carolina, and a guy came up to me and said, I'll give you two tickets to go see Georgia play South Carolina, but it's at South Carolina. I said, I don't care. 
And I go to my wife. I said, babe, I got two tickets to the game. You want to go? And she looks around at these three kids. She goes, I got three kids. What are you thinking? I said, well, I'll take one. And the oldest one was too old, and the youngest one, I mean, it was too busy. She's already in her social life. The youngest one was too little. So I went to Keely, my middle daughter, and she was here in the last service. I was telling a story about her, but I, I, I mean, she's only four, you know, and, and so I get her all ready, and, and we go to the ball game, and you got to understand, there's, there's 90,000 people that are there, all Gamecock fans and us, okay? And as we're on the way there, I said, babe, look, if you're going to be a Bulldog fan, you got to learn how to bark, and so give me your best shot. She goes, oh. I said, babe, I can't even let you in the game like that. I can't, I, I can't even let you go. I said, it comes from the diaphragm. It comes up like this, and it's, Rrr! I said, try that. And so she, she goes, Rrr! I said, that's beautiful, babe. I said, you do that four or five times in a row, and you're in. What we're going to do is when they stand up to kick the ball, we're going to start going, go. And if that referee doesn't drop his hand, we keep going. No, no matter what. Go. And when he goes up and kicks that ball, it's, don't. Sick him. All right, try it with me. I'm just kidding. I won't make you do it right now. Many of you wanted to, I know. But anyway, um, anyway, the whole idea of this is we get down there, and she did great. I don't even remember what the score was or what it was. We had a fantastic time. Man, fast forward a year later, and somebody comes up to me and says, Kaz, I know you're a dog fan. I got two tickets to the Georgia-Clemson game, but it's at Clemson. Man, same thing. We go down there, 90,000, orange and white, and there we are. And I'm teaching her to bark, Whoa! you know, getting it all together. Well, fast forward another year, and somebody gives me two tickets to the Georgia-Tennessee game at Georgia. I said, this girl is thinking the world's going to be at home. And I go to Keely because she's the one that I'm kind of locked into. And at this point, I know it's going to be a home game. So we get her all dressed in the right garb. I paint her face and, and mine. And then we go down there. <laughs> And it's a, it's a 12 o'clock game. We're two and a half hours away. We had to leave at 6 o'clock in the morning. I got her a pillow and her blankets and all that kind of stuff. I said, you go to sleep. I'll wake you up when we get there. So we drive, sure enough, two and a half hours away. And as we're pulling into the Holy Land, I mean Athens, we get down there. And, and as we're pulling in, I'm waking her up. And I rolled down all the windows and I put back the sunroof. I said, sweetheart, here, here, check this out. And all of a sudden, you can smell the hot dogs and the hamburgers. And somebody's got the music blaring. Who let the dogs out? You know, all this kind of stuff. And she goes, Dad, Dad, Dad. I said, what is it, babe? She goes, they're all dog fans. I said, oh, babe, I didn't tell you. It's a home game. We've been going to visitors' games. We've been going to away games. That's for visitors. This is a home game. She had no idea. She literally undoes her seatbelt, stands up on the, po- the, the, the console of my car, sticks her head out the steering wheel, and says, these are my people. <laughs> Let me just tell you something. When you find what it is that you are passionate about, it is so easily contagious, and it's so easily motivating, and it's incredibly inspiring, but most importantly, it's easily transferable to other people. When you're passionate about Jesus, it's easily transferable to other people. And so here's what happens once you become aware, you become passionate, you get this vision. That's what happens next is you get a vision for what the Lord wants you to do. And let me just give you the best definition of vision. A vision is is God's answer to a prior problem. And let me just say something else. I get a little nervous when somebody stands up and says, let me share with you my vision. That scares me to death. You heard the illustration just a moment ago from from Henry Blackaby. But listen to this verse, Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's workmanship, servants. We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Here it comes. Which God planned 
in advance for us to do. Not that I plan. Man, I don't want to know what I plan. This is what God planned in advance for us to do. And when God begins to speak, he begins to unveil things to you, and then it turns into an a opportunity for us to be obedient or not. And here's what's the interesting, most exciting part about these three things. You become aware, you become passionate, and you, you get this vision that God gives you, not that you create. You, don't, you have to do that. You know what's interesting about all three of these things? All three of these things, you know what you have to do to get to this point on the ministry opportunity circle? This is great. Nothing. All you have to do is react. Everything we do is a reaction to awareness. We react to our passion. It just happens. You don't have to make it up. You can't decide, hey, I'm going to be passionate. It happens. You become passionate. And then you don't have to make up a vision. God gives you a vision. And so these things happen to you. But here's where the reaction happens. This is where the big part comes. This is where the difference between that line right there. You have to move from there to action. It's now time to go from react to acting. And it takes an enormous leap of faith to jump over that next step. And so as a result, I want to give you my favorite definition of faith. Because the reason people don't jump is out of fear. And so I want to give you my favorite definition of faith and fear. The definition of faith is this. It's pretty simple. It's the belief in something you cannot see is going to happen. The belief in something you cannot see is going to happen. That's what faith is. Let me tell you what fear is. <laughs> it's the belief in something you cannot see is going to happen. It's exactly the same thing, but the question is, am I going to believe what it is that God said to me and he wants me to do out of faith, or am I going to believe what the world says and he told me not to do because there's no way that'll ever work? God is always going to give you something that the world is going to tell you is not going to work. But faith says, if you do this, I will do this because this is a vision that God gave to you, not that you made up yourself. So the difference in faith and fear is whether or not you're listening to what God has to say or what the world has to say. It comes down to exactly what happens with Peter. You know the story. I mean, he's sitting in the boat. He's got his 11 buddies behind him. He's looking out there. He said, Jesus, if that's you, just tell me, and I'm coming out there. And Jesus says, come on. Well, the key was he heard his voice. And when you hear God's voice and he tells you to come, you whatever he tells you to do, do it. So he steps out of the boat. He begins to walk. And if you could listen to what the world was saying, he didn't have to go far. It was 11 people right behind him that were still in the boat saying, don't do it. You're going to drown. You're going under. And they're yelling at him and hollering and all that. And he's walking on water towards Jesus. And then eventually he decides to be distracted by the things around him. He turns back the other way. And we get distracted from God's vision. We begin to sink. you got to keep your eyes on him as you begin to act on what it is that he's called us to do. So here's what happens. In the mode of acting, we have to move into what is referred to as readiness. When God be, makes you aware of something and he, makes you, he gives you a passion for something, he's going to give you a vision that is God's answer to a prior problem, and he's going to require you to get ready to be used by him. Now, I, I don't care whether you're five or 105, God wants to use, if you are on this planet today, he wants to use you in a mighty way today. Now, one of my favorite Bible verses is, is Galatians 2.20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. That is before we get saved, before we know him personally. Before that, the number one thing you got to know is that you got to have him in your life. Comma. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God that gave his life for me. 
And so you see the things that happen is we have to get ready to be used by him. And this is probably best illustrated by my mom that went on to be with the Lord about two or three years ago. I remember when she was getting ready for my niece's wedding and she was standing on one of those boxes where you get your dress altered and they were altering and pinning up and all those kind of things. And she was uh, about 80 years old. And when they finished with that, she went to step off and slipped and fell off the box and broke her hip. It was shortly after that that because of sitting in the hospital, a lot of different sicknesses and illnesses, pneumonia came in and it was just, it was getting really rough. And they told us, you know, that she's probably going to have to go to hospice soon. And I went down to visit with my mom. She lived in the uh, Georgia area down there in, in Marietta. And I went and sat down beside her and I grabbed her hand and she grabbed my hand and, and she looked at me and she said, Gregory, <clears throat> no, that's my real name, don't tell anybody. But she said, Gregory, don't be mad at me. I said, Mama, why, why would I ever be mad at you? And she said, well, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go be with Jesus. I said, Mama, I'm and I couldn't even get it out. Before I even went to say anything, she said, but if he's going to leave me here, I want him to give me something to do. And I thought, man, what, what an incredible awareness. What an incredible passion for wanting to share Jesus. What a vision for figuring out how can I share Jesus in this condition. And she began to get ready in her own mind. And I mean, it wasn't but a matter of days when the doctor came to us and said, we really need to move her to hospice. It's not going to be long. And so we get her moved over to office and our family, I mean, hospice and our, uh, our family comes in and we're all there with her and loving on her and taking care of her. And after everybody kind of dispersed, I'm sitting down with mom one night and, and uh, as I'm sitting there with her, I, I grab her hand, I look at her and she looks at me and she said, Gregory, are they calling this my deathbed? And I said, yeah, mama, they, they are. And she said, well, then move me to the chair. I got work to do. I said, okay. So I picked up my mother and I set her over in the chair. She said, get your sister on the phone. I called my sister and she said, I want you to go to the house and go to the bottom left-hand drawer, go to the top right-hand drawer, go to this other cabinet over here. She goes, I got tracks in all those different drawers. I want you to get every single one of them and bring them here because they're not doing any good in the drawer. Bring them on. And she said, all these people are coming to visit me at the hospital. I'm going to take those tracks and hand them out to every single person that comes in the door. And she started handing out people coming to visit. And they'd say hello, and that'd be all they'd get in. She'd do the rest of the talking, just hand them out tracks left and right. Giving people, doctors, nurses, people that would feed her, people that would get her all cleaned up, everything. Handing them out, handing them out, left and right, left and right. Time went on a little bit further, and it got to that time when it was uh, probably going to be the last few moments. And the doctor who had received a track from my mother on multiple occasions came in to make sure she was comfortable in her final moments. But in that moment, my mother moved from readiness on the circle of ministry opportunity, even in her final moments, into intentionality. You see, once you become aware of something, you move to a passion, and that passion will, will lead to a vision. That vision causes you to be ready. And once you are ready, you've got to be intentional. So many people stop at readiness, and they don't take the final step. It'd be like Peter getting all the way to the edge of the boat and go, yeah, I'd be good, but I appreciate that. We'll do it maybe some other time. And sitting back down and not doing what he was called to do. But he, he got to the point that he actually stepped out of the boat. Mom was ready to move from readiness to intentionality at that moment. She was going to be intentional about this. And so if everybody's standing around there, this doctor leans over to make sure she's okay, and he pulls out his stethoscope and begins to place it on her heart to listen for a heartbeat. She reaches up and grabs that stethoscope and brings him in nose to nose. She said, Doctor, did you get the track that I gave you? She said, Yes, ma'am, I got a couple. 
She brought him in a little closer if that was possible and said, well, have you read it yet? <laughs> he said, no, ma'am, but I will. And then she went on to be with the Lord. In her final words, wanting nothing more than to share the love of Jesus with other people. You know, in the final days of Jesus, he gave us what we all know is the Great Commission. And the unfortunate thing is that sometimes when God has a plan and he has a, a way that he wants to distribute a vision to a group of people, a group of servants, and he wants you to serve him and do this, don't be surprised if there's going to be some doubters. I want to just read to you this, this passage. It's in Matthew 28, and it says, um, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and surely I'm with you all the days of the age. We hear that, and we know that, and we know it's the greatest vision-casting moment that was ever done when Jesus said that. But what's amazing is, is the first part of that verse is, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. There's nobody there but Jesus and 11 people on this mountain for this message that he's about to share. And listen to the next words. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Who wouldn't worship him after everything they saw? They watched him raise people from the dead, watch people that couldn't walk, walk, people that couldn't see, see. He did everything. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some of them doubted. Are you kidding me? Who else is here but the 11 that watched every single, some of them doubted? My friends, let me just tell you something. Don't be surprised when you become aware of something and God leads it to make it a passion of yours and all of a sudden he reveals a vision to you that's going to make a difference in this community for Christ because of what the Lord's given to you and he's going to ask you to get ready and even get to the point of intentionality if there are not people around you that doubt what's going on. If there's not people that are doubting the vision that God's given you, then you might wonder what's going on because it's too easy for the world to figure out. It's going to be bigger than that. It's going to be bigger than that. All across this sanctuary right now, there are people sitting in this room, and I believe there's two kinds of people. Those that are believers that have realized that they're servants of God, waiting for Jesus to say to you what he wants you to do, and whatever he tells you to do, do it. And there are others that may be in this room today, but they might be in your circle of influence that are searching for the truth and they don't even know it. But there will come a day when all of us are going to stand before God and those pearly gates are going to open. We're going to walk down those streets and see him sitting on his throne and right to his right hand is going to be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he's going to stand up on the front porch as he sees you arrive and he's going to say, these are Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Will you stand with me as we pray? Father, I want to thank you and praise you for this incredible church. 
Father, first of all, I want to just pray that you would bless them indeed. Lord, that you would keep your hand upon this church. The people in this church are the church. This is a beautiful building, but it's just a building until these people show up. So, Father, bless them indeed. Keep your hand upon these people. Father, deliver these people from all evil, anything that would keep them from being used by you. Father, I pray that you would bless this church with the one man that you've called to be their shepherd, to be their leader, to be their guide. And through whatever vision that is that you reveal to him in this church body, I pray, Father, that you would enlarge their territory. Lord, for the people in this place today that have thought maybe I can't be used, I'm done, or I don't have the tools, I don't have what it takes, they're doubting you. Because if we're still on this earth, we have one purpose. That is to know you and to make you known. So, Father, I pray that you would help each and every person in this room to rise up, to listen to what it is you have to say, and give them the courage, the strength, and the guts to be obedient to whatever it is that you ask them to do. We love you, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you for loving us first. It's in your name we pray. Amen.